0: If you have your Bibles, you can grab them, make your way to Luke chapter 20, verse 19. That's going to be on page 879, I believe, um, around you. Yeah, 879. Um, And so if uh, you're a guest here at Providence, I want to say a special welcome to all of you. For everyone who's here um, and and has been here before, uh, you are expecting a word from a Georgia Tech graduate about the ball game. Um, And so I will give you a sentence. I've never seen a team, so dominate another team and still lose. (laughs) And so in the words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) But sticking with that kind of movie theme for a minute, you know, Forrest Gump, one of the most quotable movies uh, in pop culture... Uh, Another movie within pop culture that's probably, if if not the most quotable, is definitely the most iconic and maybe even birthed kind of the whole pop culture idea in the late 70s, and that's Star Wars. And I am a self-professed nerd and geek as it comes to Star Wars, but it's iconic. There are phrases and there are quotes from that movie that everybody just about knows. So if you are just sitting around and you start to hear a and that's not really picking up on the mic, but you get the idea. You know what that is instantly. When you're at a football game and you start hearing the band playing, bum bum, 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 you know what that is and you know where that comes from. And so it's a movie that's just full of quotes and phrases many of us would recognize. And perhaps today, even more prevalent than quotes and phrases are the ideas of memes that we see in social media with Perhaps the most popular one being something like this. Where, if you have any idea who this is, Admiral Akbar, and there's this thing, it's a trap, it's a trap. And so, this is used on fe- social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, for all kinds of situations that are traps. Your wife asks you, Does this dress look good? <laughs> it's a trap, it's a trap, right? All kinds of things you could use on those sorts of things. Situations with it's a trap. As we come to chapter 20 of Luke, we find Jesus in a situation where people are trying to trap him. The religious leaders are surrounding him and they are trying to catch him in a trap so that he might either be uh, discredited amongst the masses that are flocking to him, or be incarcerated by the Romans. And so in the midst of this trap, this attempted trap, he gives an amazing response, and in doing so, he not only sidesteps the trap, but he also then gives what historians universally say is the single most influential political statement ever made. A statement that's been decisive and determinative in shaping Western civilization historically. And the statement is this render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to God what is God's. And so this morning, as we make our way through this text, we're just going to be looking at this attempted trap and then this amazing escape. And then we'll hone in a little bit on this edifying command that he gives to us of rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and rendering to God what is God's. Just trying to understand how Christians are to live in and view secular society and government. Even those governments who, like so many of our brothers and sisters of the past, including Luke when when he recorded this, Tiberius, or Jesus when he lived it, and then later Nero, all these, you know, oppressive governments of the past and oppressive governments that many of our brothers and sisters live under today all around the world. And so that's where we're going. And so let's just uh, get into it. All right. So contextually, what's going on? It begins verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So contextually, what is going on is it's Tuesday or Wednesday of the final week of Jesus's earthly ministry. He's going to die on Friday for the sins of the world. So this is Tuesday or Wednesday, and he has just told a parable and blown up the religious leaders, and he's compared them to a bunch of wicked servants, and they get it. They know that he, it was an allegory that he told, and they get it. They know that he was talking about them, and so the scribes and the chief priests, verse 19, sought to lay hands on him. That very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So, they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. And so here comes that attempted trap. right? Verse 21. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? And so this attempted trap, they send these spies and notice the way that this whole dialogue begins with just over-the-top flattery. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Now, we in here all know, yes, that's absolutely true, but they did not believe it. It was not sincere. They were just trying to use flattery as a setup for the trap. And so here's what flattery is. All right. You see it play out in the workplace. Uh, You see it play out in schools. You see it play out in organizations. All over the place, just brown-nosing, kissing up, all those sorts of things. But here's what flattery is. It's the inverse of gossip. But it's just as shaming or shameful. Because gossip is where you say behind someone's back what you wouldn't say to their face. But flattery is where you say to someone's face what you would never say behind their back. You're lying. You're being deceitful. You're, it's fake and it's false. And so that's why Proverbs says a flattering mouth works ruin. And Psalm says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. And so that's what they're doing. They're flattering. They're buttering up. They're trying to trap him so that he would have to give an answer to the question that they're about to ask him. And here's the question they're about to ask him it's a question that is explosive, theologically and politically, because it's all about paying tribute to Caesar. Okay? It's paying taxes. And this is explosive in this culture, especially. During that time, and even in Jesus' life, when he was a young boy, a revolt had started that led to something that came to be, a group of people came to be known as the Zealots. All right, And then later, that even leads to a revolt in A.D. 70, which leads to the absolute destruction, desolation, slaughter of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 by the Romans. This Zealot movement. And so it's a long, simmering, burning, controversial question. It's still going on. And and what it is is just rolling through the minds of the Jewish people were questions like this How do we respond to uh, Roman occupation over us? Should we pay tribute to Caesar? I mean, if we do, is that not blasphemy since he claims to be divine? He claims to be a God? So, how are, are, are we just to accommodate and assimilate into their pagan ways, or should we rebel against Caesar? Should we start a revolution as the only true way to follow God? So, this is the burning political, theological question in Jesus' day, and they seek to use it and pitch it in a way to trap him. Because they pitch it in, in a catch-22, just trying to corner him so that he has <clears throat> no way, excuse me. <clears throat> no way to hang on Michael so he has no way to answer correctly just back him into a corner so it's kind of like tic-tac-toe if you ever play tic-tac-toe if you go first that's you got to go first but if you go first and you get three corners you win Every single time. There's not because you have two moves, two ways that you can win, and the person only has one way to block you. So if they choose this one, you do that one. If they choose this one, you do that one. You have them. They're cornered. There's no way out. I just gave you guys, you're like, whoa, I never knew that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My girls know that. So they're just backing them into the corner. That's what I want to do. We've got him trapped. If he says this, then the Romans are going to come and they're going to arrest him as an insurrectionist because he's saying, no, 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 we don't need to pay tribute. We don't need to do that. But if, if he comes over here and says, yeah, we need to pay tribute, then we can uh, just discredit him as a collaborationist with the Romans and he will be alienated from the people and we'll be done with him. And so that's what they're trying to do, trying to back him into that corner. And so here you've got Jesus. And he's got to answer this in such a way that he doesn't fall into the trap. But Jesus is never just trying to avoid a trap, right? He wants to teach at the same time. And you got to remember, he's in control. All that we're reading here as he's on the way to the cross are not just things happening to him, but they're things he's carrying out so that he can go and die for our sins and rise again. And so he's going to take this opportunity to not only sidestep their trap, And just prove them to be intellectually silly again. But he's also going to edify us by teaching us how is this relationship between Caesar, allegiance to Caesar and allegiance to God, allegiance to government and allegiance to God. What is that supposed to look like? And so they've set the trap. So now let's look at the amazing escape. We'll get verse 23 with me he perceived their craftiness and said to them show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have and they said Caesars he said to them then render to Caesar the things that are Caesars and to God the things that are God's and they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said but marveling at his answer they became silent. And so verse 23, he says, you know, see, seeing through their craftiness, he says, show me a denarius. All right. This is a Roman coin made in Palestine, not, not made in Palestine, but brought there and used as currency. And it bears the image of Caesar's it got just like our quarters have somebody on it. And I'm, I'm not even going to and I'll probably is it, Washington. Thank you. I know tic-tac-toe, but I don't know my, know my coins. So it, it equals out. But it's got an image on it, right? Same thing here. It's got Caesar's image. And so the very fact that they could go into their pocket and pull out one of these proved the point that they were living under the authority of the, the imperial realm of Caesar. And so it was a sobering moment for many of them. You've got all these legalists who are saying, man, we should rebel against Caesar. He is not over us. It is, it is blasphemy uh, because it bears his image to have one of these coins Jesus Hey, you got a denarius? And they're like, oh, yeah, here it is. And so he's proving to them, just by the fact that they have it, that they are under Caesar. Because it's the coin of the realm. And his rule stretched as far as his currency was used. It's got his picture on it. And so, I mean, I like at home, I've got some... Uh, Kazakh currency. It's called tengi. And it's not worth anything here, right? Because it's not the currency of the realm. It's got pictures of their presidents on it, but not our presidents. So I can't go to Martin's here in a minute and, you know, want some brisket tacos and pull out my tengi. They're going to be like, that's not accepted here. It has no authority here because they have no authority here. That government has no authority here. They're under the realm. We are under the realm of the United States of America, not Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. And so that's, you know, that the, the authority comes from whose currency it is. And it's Caesar's. It's got his picture on it. And so they think they've got him cornered. But he basically says to them, listen, since we live in the realm of Caesar, proved by the point that you have the coin. Well, you need to give your due to Caesar. But remember, when you're doing that, that within the realm of earthly government and politics, never forget that the final throne to which you owe loyalty Is the throne of God. And they're floored. And they're silent. Because there's nothing they can say to that. He's exactly right. He's sidestepped it. But not only in sidestepping. He's taught here. And he's teaching us. He's pointing out to us. His people. and, And them at the time. But to us Christians. That we are citizens of heaven. And citizens of earth. There's a book, and I put it in your uh, resources, written by Augustine of, of Hippo. Uh, if you have a Catholic background, it's called St. Augustine. He wrote a book called The City of God. Probably one of the most influential books in history about this relationship. between. He says there's a city of God that is eternal and, and unshakable. And there are cities of men that are always shifting and rising and falling just in society, and that's always going to... He's writing it as the Roman Empire is collapsing around him. And so the the point is, is this, with these dual citizenships, citizenship in heaven, citizenship on earth, is that if you are in Christ, okay, if you are in Christ, Jesus is teaching that you are also in Nolensville. That while in Christ we have our ultimate Citizenship in heaven. We also have a citizenship and a responsibility here in Nolensville, Tennessee, United States of America. And that we have a. We need to render our due to the town officials, the county officials, the state officials, and the federal government. And so that begs the question: Then, all right, if we're to render these things accordingly, when render to Caesar and render to God, well, that begs the question: Well, what? What is Caesar's? And what is God's? What are we to render or give to Caesar? And what are we to render or give to God? Well, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, fleshes this out a little bit for us in Romans 13. So if you'll flip over to Romans 13, if you're using some of the Bibles that are provided for you, around you, this is on page 948. 948. 948. Romans 13, verse 1. I'm giving you time to get there because I want you to see it with your own eyes. Here we go. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? And do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Now keep in mind, he's writing this under Nero. The dude who winds up chopping his head off. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he's the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So I want you to note right off the back as we're talking about what is Caesar's and what is God's, all right? This is not, well, there are some things that are Caesar's, and there are some things that are God's, and they are different. Now we need to understand, first of all, everything is God's. Everything is God's, and any government is under Him. So, I mean, verse 1, it says, For there is no authority except from God. All right, so this isn't some things are Caesar's. No, everything is God's, and He has set the world up in such a way that there are human governments and institutions. And they have delegated authority. There's No authority except from God. And you remember our Old Testament reading from Daniel chapter 2 says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives to the wise knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. So he sets up kings. He takes down kings. And so it's all of God's. God's in control of all things. But by his own authority, he set it up this way, which means, and you need to listen very well to me here, that a pagan earthly government is a legitimate one. And so just bring that home into our lives a little bit. The occupant of the White House being a Christian or an atheist or a Jew or a Muslim makes no difference on the legitimacy of the government. Now, we definitely might prefer one or the other, but it makes no difference on the legitimacy. A pagan state is a legitimate state. Because again, Paul's writing this under Nero. And he's saying this under Nero in the Roman Empire. And so again, as we're thinking about these things and rendering to Caesar and rendering to God, don't some are Caesars, some are gods? No, it's all gods. And He set it up this way: He's allowed humans to steward earthly government, which calls that, which means that we, you know, this allegiance that we are to have to an earthly government, according to Jesus and according to Paul, like we're to have that, but it's limited. It's limited. Christians should be the best of citizens. They should obey the government in everything but sin. So I think in a lot of ways, the church in America today needs to calm down. We freak out so easily over everything. I mean, yeah, we should contend for moral and social issues that are clear in Scripture, but let's make sure they're clear. And we should contend over those, but on so, so many things, we just need to calm down. I mean, is the state telling us that you can only have one child, and if you have more than one, you have to kill it? No. For our brothers and sisters in China live under that reality. Is the state telling you that you cannot preach the gospel? No is the state actually demanding of you anything of which, if you obey or submit to it, will make you a violator of the law of God? Demanding that of you? No. And you couldn't say that in Nazi Germany. And you can't say that in a lot of countries where brothers and sisters in Christ live right now. And they live under persecution and in oppression. But right here... In America, things may not be exactly like we would like for them to be, but let's not get confused about what persecution is. And let's also not get confused on what the city of God is and what the city of man is. The church's goal is not to gain political influence in the hope of legislating a Christian society. Our goal is to see men and women, boys and girls, repent of their sins and believe in Christ and be given forgiveness. An eternal life and a citizenship in heaven. Judas and, all, and many others wanted Jesus to, to set up this, you know, uh, Jewish society. It, it, like we some people want a Christian society, and Jesus is constantly having to say, "Listen, no, my kingdom's not of this world. That's not how this works. I'm not here to set up a geopolitical kingdom. But He's going to come back someday. And then we will live forever and ever and ever under a perfect and eternal monarchy. With a perfect King. And in a perfect kingdom where there is no sin and there is no sorrow and there is no death and there is no pain and there is no crying. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we long for that day. We look forward to that perfect day Eternal kingdom, but until that perfect monarchy, we will live under fallen governments that nevertheless, though, have been set up by God and are legitimate and have been given authority by God. And so as we lay out, okay, it's not some things are Caesar's and some things are God's. Everything's God's, but he's given that. Well, then let's just get practical. Well, what is it? How are we to render some things to Caesar? And what do those look like? And how are we to render some things to God? And what do those look like? And so let's just be very practical about that. And just straight out of. Romans 13, as well as just the plain talking of what Jesus is talking about here when he says pull out a denarius and render it to Caesar. One of the things we're to render to Caesar is we need to pay our taxes. All of them. And so evading or not paying your taxes is not just illegal, it's sin. It's lying, it's deceitful. It's disobeying Christ's command, and so we owe the government our taxes. And we can debate all day long how many, how much of that they need to take, and then how they need to be used. But according to Scripture, we owe that to the government. Bottom line: obedience to Christ means we pay our taxes. We also owe our government leaders honor and respect. Romans thirteen verse seven again says, "Pay to all." What is owed to them? Taxes to whom taxes are owed. this is a command, notice. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. So the whole not my president slogan that began under President Bush and then was used by a different group of people under President Obama and now is used again by a different group of people under President Trump is a violation of this. It's not honoring. It's not respectful. And, and that doesn't mean you can't disagree with the president. I disagreed strongly with some things that Obama did. I disagree strongly with some things that Trump does. But it, I still am called to respect them and honor them. And it's not based upon whether they are acting respectfully or honorably is based upon like there's no conditions given here when Paul says respect and honor. He just says respect and honor. And so respect your government authorities, honor them. For crying out loud, act like a Christian when you talk about politics. And honor and respect your government officials equally when they are the ones you voted for and when they're not. I'm not talking about agreeing here. I'm talking about respect and honor. No, I'm not talking about it. The Bible is. Respect and honor those who are your government leaders. All right, so we pay our taxes, we respect and honor. And then also we're to pray for our leaders. So if you'll flip over to first, Tim, I'll just read it to you. First Timothy chapter two says this. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so we're to pray for our leaders, pray for their salvation, pray for their families, pray that they would lead the country, the state, the county, the town in such a way as it benefits all people, all citizens, and allows Christians and others freedom to worship freely. Governmental Governmental recognition of religious liberty for ourselves as well as others who differ from us, is both morally right and socially good. And so we should always stand for the religious liberty and freedom of all people in all faiths. No one can be legislated into the kingdom of God. It's about soul freedom, S-O-U-L, freedom. And so pray for your leaders. And then number four, rendering to Caesar also means participating in public life. And so for some of us, I mean serving in the military, serving as first responders, serving as lawyers or judges or elected officials, exercising your right to vote. And for the church, at times, with great boldness mixed with some caution, speaking out on public issues. We have a responsibility as the church, as the people of God, to bear witness to the biblical truth about poverty and about business, about education, about racism, about abortion, about marriage, about war, about the environment and creation care, and on and on and on we could keep going. But listen, how we do that is just as important as doing it. How you do that. Through your political conversation. I don't think I've ever been so political in a sermon before in my life. But the text demands it. We go right through. If you're a guest. We go. Th- I didn't pick this text. I wouldn't have picked this text. But we go right through the Bible. So you can't dodge things. And so this is where we're at. But the way we say things. I mean, is your in your political life and conversations. You can... Do that and talk about it in such a way that it shows your allegiance is first to Christ. And you trust him how it trickles down. And yeah, you're passionate about it, but you trust him how it trickles down. Or you can do that in such a way that your allegiance really is to the country first or to a party first. And so through this, you can push people towards Christ and help people to see the need of Christ and the glory of God. Or you can help or you can just turn people off and make them think you are an absolute jerk and all Christians are that crazy, then I have nothing, I want nothing to do with the church. And so pray, pay your taxes, give honor, participate in public life. These are all practical outworkings of rendering to Caesar. All right? So render all of that to Caesar. But what are we to render to God? God. Well, it goes back, I think, to the question Jesus asked there in Luke chapter 20, when he says, show me a denarius. And he asks them, whose image is on the denarius? And they say, Caesar's. Right? And they're right on that. So the whole point Jesus is laying out with that question is that, is that the denarius is Caesar's because it has been stamped with his image. So you render that To Caesar. But where is God's image? God's image has been stamped on every single one of us. So that means we render to Him ourselves, all of us. That it's, we are His. These bodies are His. Our eyes are His. Our ears are His. These hands are his, and he's given them to us to bless others, to point others to Christ. Your home is his. I mean, this is stewardship. John's teaching on Wednesday nights about how to use your home in just biblical hospitality. And he was talking this past Wednesday about how our homes are gospel weapons, and there are things that we can employ in the service of Christ as we love folks and help to point them to Christ. A lot of times we think evangelism is just when we are like absolutely praying. What's, All right, you want to receive Jesus? And that is part of it. That is part of it. But if there's, there's parts of evangelism is also just getting people to the point that they will engage in a conversation. Yesterday, Sarah and I had the blessing and the privilege because of Wendy Walker to get to deliver a bed because of Miss Jackie, see how the church works, who is donating a bed to a Syrian refugee family in Nashville, and we had to talk through she had a phone, um, and Sarah had to go with me because it 's not right for a man to go into that home in that culture. She had a phone so Sarah could type or speak into it and then turn around it would translate it into Arabic or farsi i 'm not sure which which the language was. And we had an opportunity to have a little conversation. In that moment, did I say, hey, do you want to repent and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because, no, Allah is a demon. And, you know, I didn't go that way. (laughs) All we did is we gave her a bed. That's all we did. She saw love. And through she got Sarah's phone number. She knows Wendy. You just see how this trickles down. You just see how it trickles down. Everybody's been stamped with God's image. We owe all of who we are to Him and use all that He's given to us. Our job and our time and our money and ourselves. Everything. All that we are. The denarius is Caesar's because it has His image. We are God's because we have His image and we need to render all of our lives to Him. Because He gave everything for us. I mean, think about Jesus. He gave His life. We're Tuesday or Wednesday here. A few days later, He's going to go to the cross. And He's going to suffer and die for every single one of us, myself included, who have been an idolater with politics at times. Or even if we step out of that realm, have just, I mean, just go through your life. The things that, the violations of God's law that we've done. We are all condemned. We are all sinners. So no one's, Better than someone else in this room. We're all in the same boat. And Jesus died for every single one of us. So that if we repent and believe, we might be saved. We might be given eternal life and forgiveness. Mercy's made new every day. And so, would you trust Christ? Would you receive Him as your Lord and Savior? And then render everything that you have back to Him? want to know more about that, talk to someone around you as we leave. Find someone on the door. I'll be around. John will be around. Chad will be around. We'd love to talk to you about this. But as we get ready to close and go into a time of the Lord's Supper, I want you to answer these questions and think through them a little bit. Are you giving to God what is His? Are you rendering to Him what is His? Do you give Do you sometimes render to Caesar what is actually God's? You render, you give hope to the government. You give all, you you set hope and you set uh, joy and you set um, your attitude and how you feel about the world and life based upon what's happening with the government. And so, if it goes the way you want, man, things are great. If it doesn't go the way you want, man, my life's terrible. You rendering to Caesar what is only God's? No, our hope our joy, our satisfaction, our security, all of these things are in Christ alone. Our unity as a church is in Christ alone. If our unity is in something else, then that something else is our Lord. And so you're rendering to God what is His. He wants all of us. Every sphere of our life. And so I'm going to pray, and those who are going to help serve the Lord's supper are going to come. And as I pray, I want you to think about that. And I want you to just, even as I'm praying, if, if the word's touching on something in your life, pray about that. As this, these elements go out in a few moments, pray about those. Repent of those things. And so let's let's pray and have that time. Father God. So often we get things out of whack. We get things out of order. And sometimes God, even just by not, it's not intentional, but we get caught up and we render to Caesar things that are not His. We set our hope there. We set our security there. And obviously that has an effect. And obviously, we need to be involved, but help us, God. Help us to set our hope and our affections and our joy and our allegiance ultimately in you and our citizenship that we have in heaven. But at the same time, help us to be citizens of the countries in which you've placed us. In, In this room, I assume that's primarily all of us are probably citizens of the United States. And so help us have that proper balance. And Father, help us as a church to have our unity in one thing and one thing alone Christ. One foundation, a firm foundation. And as we prepare to take and remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid on our behalf. Would you prepare our hearts and minds for this holy time? We ask in Christ's name. Amen.